Hello everybody, this is the Keynote Topic. Um, my name is Nick. Uh, joining me today um, is not Danny, unfortunately. We, we, do, we do it. She's, she's kind of had to step away um, for a bit. But don't worry, we will be coming back with some of our normal episodes. Um, we still want to finish off our season and have on, on, on season three. Um, so as you probably noticed from your feed title, um, this is what I'm calling uh, the interlude, um, where me and a good friend of mine, we're going to discuss some latest releases um, just to keep the feed ticking over, to keep you guys kind of informed of films and, and give us a chance just to talk about films. So joining me um, today is uh, Super Sub, uh, Babyface Assassin, um, Max Maybe. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good, pretty good, excited. This should be fun. I haven't spoken about films with anyone for a while, so nice to have a bit of a chat about them. Yeah, so we're, um, we've known each other for, for three or four years now. Um, we met in Bristol, uh, both doing our film film course in Bristol. Um, have you, uh, I mean, you, what, what kind of history you've got with, with, with film? I uh, always really liked film, never saw myself as working in film or doing anything, you know, professional to do with film. Just used to just enjoy watching films. Uh, went to uni to do engineering. Uh, couldn't do it, dropped out. Went to do film instead, and that's where I find Nick. And then I taught Nick everything he knows about movies. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much what happened. Um, <laughs> verbatim, that's exactly what happened. Without <laughs> me, I don't think degree, Nick would have seen a film. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, without without Max, I, I, I would have. I, I don't know what I would have done. Um, <laughs> just sat watching Pixar movies. Gotten a lot um, better mark, probably. And, yeah. <laughs> Focus probably, yeah. Letters, maybe. <laughs> yeah, probably got a lot better mark. Um, but yeah, there's uh, it's, this kind of pandemic time has been been a bit uh, been really weird. I mean, I, I'm assuming you're looking for very much looking forward to, to cinemas like reopening. Can't wait as much as me. I'm dying to get back in the cinema. I've hardly watched films. This is probably the first two films I've watched really all year. I've just really dropped off the uh, habit of watching films recently. So, yeah, it was nice to sit down, put my phone away, and actually watch a film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, nothing, nothing beats the the experience of um, sitting down in a in a, in a dark space. Um, you know, both both me and you obviously went to Bristol and 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 the great great cinemas of Bristol. One of one of which being the Watershed. It's a favourite uh, of ours, and. Um, Obviously, you're closer to Bristol than I am. You're you're in Cardiff at the moment, whereas I, obviously I'm up in Edinburgh. But um, you know, I can't can't wait to get back to the cinema. Um, yeah. I assume you're probably going to go back to the watershed. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I can't wait to be back in the watershed watching a film. Yeah, I doubt I'll be watching Fast and Furious Nine in there, but I, I will I will be back eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so the, the, I mean, the two today's two films are actually the kind of films we, we would actually see at the watershed. Um, you know, I'd imagine it in, in normal times, if if both me and you were living in Bristol, we would have both seen these films at the watershed. Um, so yeah, so today's films, uh, uh we've got Sound of Metal. Um, so originally uh released in, in 2019, according to IMDb because uh, it uh, had its first screening at the Toronto International Film Festival, if I remember rightly. Um, that film is directed by Darius Marder. Um, it stars Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook, 
and we'll also be talking about Minari, um, which came out uh, in 2020 um, in America from uh, Lee Isaac Chung, uh, which stars Stephen Young, Han Yuri, and uh, a recent BAFTA, at this current moment in time, she's a BAFTA supporting actress winner, Young Yu Young, if I get her name correctly. Um, so we, we, we're going to be latest releases, obviously, but this is late releases in the UK. So, you know, don't expect us to be talking about Nomadland until I think it's middle of May when that comes out. Yeah, I'm completely lost on all release dates. The whole pandemic has thrown a spanner works for me, so I don't have a clue what's coming out when. I just, award season is coming up, and that's how I know that the films that have come out this year, that's the only reason I know half these films is because they've just get, got these uh, BAFTAs and Oscars and whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm completely behind the times at the moment. Yeah, it's, it is pretty It is pretty difficult to kind of, especially with the pandemic, trying to keep track of release dates. Usually it's pretty easy. We got, you know, that we would usually have a, a, an actual defined summer season um, with, you know, big blockbusters and some indie movies kind of thrown in between. Then you would have a defined award season, whereas it just feels really quite mishmashed at the moment. Yeah, all over the place. And then you've got obviously the big ones like Dune and uh, No Time to Die getting massive delays i mean i think that's kind of helped some of these indie films get a bit more recognition because these massive blockbusters have been um have been pushed aside but i'm surprised at how little uh tenet has actually been picked up in the award season i i was expecting it to get a few more nominations than it did i have a feeling like i have a feeling that that's because it came out in september and it actually had a cinema release wide release in september i mean um we, took, we actually spoke about it on this podcast. Me and Danny spoke about it on this podcast. She, she saw it in Paris, and I, I managed to get to see it in Edinburgh when it was out for the 10 days that cinemas were open back in September. Yeah, I managed um, to just about catch it. <laughs> yeah, so it was one of those... Yeah, it was one... I think it's because it was, you know, in the middle of all that, you know, people kind of, you know, it, almost forget about it. You kind of need to have it fresh in their mind, which kind of surprises me that, you know, Godzilla vs. Kong isn't in the war season contention, seeing as that's out and and it's amazing. <laughs> mm, yeah, I don't think it's uh, <laughs> best picture worthy, though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I uh, no. Um, but um, these two films, uh, I'm sure we're going to get into... Um, are both, I think, both nominated for Best Picture in the Oscars, if I'm rightly. I believe so. I know Sound of Metal definitely is. Um, so anyway, let's, let's, let's get going. Let's talk about Sound of Metal. You sound great. Yeah, right. What? You're telling me you weren't feeling it? You were in it. We don't need to, we don't need to put them all out. I know, but we just need to film hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm gonna be like a click track. You can play to me. So, like I said, um, this came out in 2019 uh, due to release uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, came out on Amazon Prime in the UK a couple of days ago, if I remember rightly. 
um, which is where both me and me and Max watched it. Uh, so directed by Darius Marder, starring uh, Riz Ahmed as uh, drum- drummer Ruben Stone, um, Olivia Cook, Paul uh, Racy, and uh, Mathieu uh, uh, Amalric, um, French actor, which we kind of recognise from various other things he's in it as well. Um, brief synopsis. A drummer begins to lose his hearing and has to come to grips with a future that will be filled with silence. So, Max, what did you think of Sound of Metal? God, I try and avoid spoilers for this bit, right? So, I I really liked yeah, it. Yeah, so I, we're, I really, we're really liked it. Yeah. I, um, yeah, we're going to do... Riz Ahmed is... Yeah, Riz Ahmed is just fantastic in it. Uh, he, he's, his career just seems to keep going up and up and up. And I think it's, you know, I don't even think he's at the peak yet. I think he's going to, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him win multiple, multiple Oscars in the future because he is just, he's phenomenal. Uh, he's someone that I've always sort of caught my eye in. Like, I think Four Lions is where I first sort of saw him. And even in that, he was just a brilliant comedy actor and he's sort of travelled over to drama and he's, you know, playing Americans now, just smashing it out, doing it so well. Um, it, I really liked how it just got into the story straight away. I was kind of, because I knew it was about drumming a bit, and then I knew that he sort of lost his hearing. I liked that it sort of, it didn't spend the first 45 minutes following him around touring, doing all the band stuff, like learning loads about drumming. It was kind of, it hit the ground running straight away. I really, really liked that bit of it. And the way, because it is about this sort of deaf community and it's about him learning to deal with his deafness, I found after it, I researched a lot of stuff about deafness and I wanted to look into it and I looked into some of these actors and I found out that a few of the actors in the films are like actually were deaf and um, I think one of the teachers in the commune she's going to be playing a deaf superhero in the Eternals which I found really interesting I didn't know about so I think it did a really good job in that of something I hadn't seen represented on screen really before I don't think I've ever watched a film that focused so much around deafness. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm kind of very much of the same of the same view. Um I mean, I I ended up reviewing um uh, Wonderstruck Todd Haynes's Wonderstruck um which starred um I think her name was Melissa something. Anyway, it was the it was the it was the, the girl that ended up in a quiet place. Um obviously when that came, film came out, you know, there's a big thing about deafness in film because she was a deaf actress. Uh, but Wonderstruck kind of open my eyes a little bit as to how that deafness can kind of be portrayed on screen um, and how, you know, the idea of silence. I mean, uh, Babel did it very, very well with Rinko Kikuchi, um, but obviously there, Rinko Kikuchi isn't a deaf actress. She's a great actress, but not a deaf actress. Um, And obviously we've come to the point now where deafness needs to be portrayed on screen by actual deaf, deaf people I think Sound of Metal, for me, is is a very, very, is a very, very, very good film, and I, I, I would, I would honestly, I would recommend this in a heartbeat to people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to kind of talk about this without going into spoilers. Um, yeah, so I mean, I imagine we'll keep this you, bit a bit you... shorter, and the spoiler review will be a bit longer. But yeah, I think, yeah, so, I, I, mean, I would, I would definitely recommend Ghost. I think more yeah. so than Minari, it's more accessible than the other one we're going to talk about, Minari. I think this is more accessible to a, 
a general film audience. I think if you're not into proper, you know, arty movies, you'll still be able to watch this, enjoy it, identify with it. Um, yeah, I think Minari might struggle a bit more if you if you're not into those sort of films. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see my dad seeing this film, whereas I can't see him watching Minari. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of. I mean, yeah, I, I would also recommend this film quite, quite, you know, quite highly. Um, so, I mean, should we just should we just get started into it? I mean, we both recommended the film. We've we've given some general thoughts. I mean, we we just got to go straight into spoilers. I feel. Um, yeah, that's our so, that's our spoiler free bit. Yeah. So obviously, yeah, but this is spoilers now. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put time codes in in the in the description so people can kind of see where the spoilers section is um, and avoid that and go straight to our spoiler-free thoughts on Minari um, or spoiler thoughts on Minari, depending on if you've seen Salamet or if you haven't seen either film. So anyway, um, so spoilery thoughts on, on Salamet. Um, Max, do you want to take the lead? I mean... Yeah, um, there were... Uh, the, the ending... I think you could see coming a mile off. I don't. Th- I think if you if the ending caught you off guard, I think you, you may need to you know go back and rethink a few things because it did. It came a mile off. You knew he was going to do it, but if the ending where he disconnects his um his uh hearing implant that he gets, but I still liked it, yeah. even though I knew it was going to happen. I still it still worked. I think it still hit nicely, and the way the sound is done the whole way throughout the film, the way they make the the deafness work. There are never no point do they actually use silence for deafness. It's always really high pitches or screeching tones or really low like driving basses that it's more sort of a sense of blocking out the sound as opposed to no sound throughout the film. And I liked that that ending yeah. bit, it actually was silence. That was the first time it was silence. And then the way that sort of carried over into the credits and with the music then coming in, I thought that was done that was done really, really well, even though you knew he was always gonna end up disconnecting the implant. Yeah, I mean, I think if I was to have any any kind of, I wouldn't say negative, but just like slight phrases, I wasn't too keen on the sections that took place in Paris. Um, I kind of get why I needed to go back there for the narrative thread, but I felt that the strongest scenes in the movie, the best scenes in the movie were the ones that took place in the community and with the school. Um and kind of that gave Riz Ahmed a lot more to do and a lot more to kind of showcase the character of Ruben and the trouble that he had. Um, for me, I mean, losing, lo- I mean, I'm going to get a bit personal here, right? but losing my hearing is actually a big fear of mine. Um, mm. I've had hearing troubles myself in the past. Um, I'm the proud owner of two uh, perforated eardrums, actually. Uh, tinnitus is a is a long companion of mine. Um, I often have to leave lip read to understand when people talk, um, and which is a really really great problem to have in a pandemic when everyone's wearing fucking masks. <laughs> um, so the 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 kind of that feeling of vibration to hear, um, it's a lot more realistic and a lot more that that kind of power of that feeling of, of of silence of of not understanding of of losing of losing something you know that you take for granted i mean it's a lot more what's the word, realistic than than you know like the ending of baby driver for example mm. um 
you know, where he places his hand on the speaker and all of a sudden you can hear the music. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, and this is, this is a lot more powerful and it's hard hitting. I mean, to see Ruben come to terms with being deaf and to real see him kind of, to him being without the thing that kind of he feels robs him of his life and purpose. I mean, it, that really did really, really hit me hard. I think it was, it hit me sort of towards the end of it. I was like, oh, this, this isn't a film about losing your hearing. This is a film about addiction. Yeah. Cause that's that moment where he's, he's talking to him and he's like, you, you look like an addict to me. You're, you're an addict. This is what is happening. And the fact that the way they did that, it, like it was never properly explicitly said about his addiction. They don't really go into it too much. He mentions it a bit, but it's not the driving point of the film. Isn't the fact that he's a recovering addict. It's just part of his character. But then when you actually step back and examine the whole thing, it is sort of, it's, it's exploring this thing of addiction, but through him losing his hearing. I found that a really, when he has that scene where he talks to him and he gets kicked out of the commune, I thought that really just was such a nice way of doing that and make you suddenly go, ah, that was like the, the click moment where I was like, ah, okay, this is actually what it's all about. And if you sort of go back and look at it again, you can kind of see it as an addict story. I'd love to get the opinion of like an addict who or someone who is like a recovering addict watching this film and see what their takeaway from it is, whether they'd have a whole different perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I like that, you know, that, that kind of, for me, that kind of just, it was too, uh, for me, that was, that was too obvious. Like, you know, that, that, that line for me just, oh, I just, it almost made me roll my eyes, but it didn't. But like, I, you know, that feeling of just being like, well, you've, you've, you know, you've said it out loud and you didn't really need to say it out loud. I, th- I th- I don't know. I think it was just, just enough. I think if they'd have dwelled on it any longer, then it would have felt a bit, you know, a bit uh, overindulgent. I think it would just walk the line for me of not, you're not getting, you know, too much into it. Just sort of going a little nod, just be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is actually what it's all about. Yeah, and it, I mean the 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 stronger scenes in the movie for me are the ones where you know he's he's trying to grapple with, really trying to grapple with. Like they like they say to him like he's he's an owl at the start of in and he's in that mm. community, um and I think that's those are the stronger scenes where he's, he's not there like he's he's not sold on being there he's not. What's the word? Kind of, he's he's not one hundred percent being deaf. You know, they put on that to do board where his thing, his to do list is to learn to be deaf. And I think that's the the strongest scenes for me are the ones where he's trying to learn that. And then in within those scenes, it's the ones that take place in the school. Um, mm. But it I, plays into the whole thing of him. He he set his mindset that it was something to be fixed, wasn't it? And he was he was, he was, yeah. he was adapting, but he wasn't you know accepting and then at the end he accepts that no this this is this is my life i actually i don't want to try and live the way i used to live i've got to just uh he accepts that this is yeah this is what it's going to be going forward i think that does kind of feed in i, do, I think yeah it does feed into the, the whole addict thing of you know you 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 don't you don't see yourself as somebody to be fixed you know you see it as something that's a part of yourself and you kind of learn to accept it mm. Um, like you said, you know, you know, you need to kind of see, try and find some people that have, have been there to kind of understand that a bit more. Um, 
the, the filmmaking in it. I mean, we can't, we can't really. I don't think we can go on really without much further mention to do with sound editing in particular, and the direction and the editing. Um, there's a there's a hard cut at the beginning where the doctor is giving him this news, and he's got the head headphones on, and it's it's almost silent, but we can kind of, you know, we can hear what the doctor's saying, but it's it's so quite quiet. And then it cuts to it's a hard cut to the drums and the guitar kind of overtaking the the sound and, and overtaking and it just it's just it's just this sense of denial of being you know like hmm. kind of it, it's I don't, I I hate saying that you know it's a it's a movie of our times but you know you've just been given this horrible news that you know your hearing's gonna go and you need to stay away from the thing that's hurting you and then you go immediately to do that thing you know. Uh, but the, yeah, the sound editing was 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 so was so fucking good, so good. Yeah, I, I think that there's no way it doesn't sweep the awards for sound editing in every uh, every award like show it's nominated for. I, I'm so glad I watched it with a, like a really nice pair of headphones on to really hear all the little nuances they did in there. Because I think if you just watched it on like an old TV or something like that, you, you're not going to get that. That's it's something that would have been great to hear in the cinema as well to hear it with a proper sound system like that. I think it was done, yeah. yeah, so so well. Um, yeah, I think yeah, it's just, it definitely should win sound editing uh, on all the award shows. Yeah, um, I think I think a kind of a special mention goes to Olivia Cook for me. Um, she's an actress. I think it's kind of been hard done by in film in general. Like the films I've seen her in, I mean, don't kind of utilize her very well. I mean, she was very uh poorly um kind of hard done by in, in ready player one um I, yeah i mean less said about that film the better <laughs> but you know it was, she was one of the the things that i felt i came out of that film and i was like i really want to see more of her um and i was glad to even though she's not in the film you know, a whole like she's there's so the whole massive section of the film where she's not in it, but you feel her presence, and I feel that's a sign of your. She's done an amazing job at her character at the start of the film, that you end up feeling her presence when she's not there. And Riz Ahmed again, like, they, I think their chemistry was fantastic. Yeah, they were. Excellent. I uh, this is the first thing I'd seen her in, but yeah, like you say, her this little screen time she does have, she makes an impact with. There was one bit with her character right when it opens, when she's lying on the bed, and on her arm, she, her arm was covered in um, self harm scars, and it's never really the marks well. no, no, because there's, the, there's the tram marks from Addict, but the, the, she's got self harm scars all up her arm, only oh, yeah. in only in shot from you know a second or two, never mentioned really, apart from towards uh, when he's just leaving and she's saying, "If you hurt you hurt yourself, I'll hurt myself," and she's pointing to her arm. But it's never like focused. I never really mentioned. But I just I don't know. That really it stopped me in my tracks. Just I was like, I've never seen something like that on screen. It, like it's like I don't even know if representation is the right word for that. But I can't think of a better word to describe it. But I don't know. It's something I've never seen in a film that a character having something like that, which is something that you know I've you've, I've seen seen on Friends or something. It always is some, it's something that you sort of notice, but you don't. It's almost taboo to speak about. You don't want to focus on it or whatever. It's something I'd never seen in a film before that I don't know, it really just not caught me off guard isn't the right thing, but it just it sort of it made me think about it and I was like, Oh wow, that's yeah, I haven't seen that before and that is interesting about it that in for her character. 
Yeah, I mean the 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 whole relationship seems to be very um symbiotic in that they both need each other um to kind of survive and I think I think the ending I think the ending's very very almost quite sad in that they're both on the bed together and you know he mentions about doing the album again and she starts scratching her arm and you mm. know it's it's an indicator that maybe they would have been better off not being together. But in the fact is that their relationship is so symbiotic in that they both are indebted to each other. And, and yeah, I think there's, yeah, there's like, the line when he says, uh, how long have you been sober for four years? How long have you known her for four years? And I think that's, yeah, it, yeah. yeah it's that they've clearly either, either they've helped each other recover or they've met in recovery or something, but they've clearly gone through that recovery process together I think in that sort of not closing scene but penultimate scene, it's sort of him realizing that in that time when they're recovering, they need each other and they couldn't have done it without each other. But now they're recovered and they're different people. And it's the fact that he comes and she looks so much better and she looks fresher and she looks radiant and everything like that compared to when they were living together. And it's and then yeah, her starting scratching again. It's him getting that realization, isn't it? That actually going forward with we're not right for each other. We're just going to keep each other in that sort of recovering mindset. We need to move past this and like bring it back around to the whole thing of, yeah, being addiction. They need to just accept the new people they are going forward and sort of move past that bit of their life. They need each other for that bit of their life. But now that is done, they appreciate each other for that. They have that moment when they hug and they sort of say, you know, you, you saved my life, you saved my life. And now they need to go their separate ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's very that's very well put. Yeah. Um besides something else I just wanted to kind of just mention. Um the sound of metal, the the title, Sound of Metal, I mean for one it, it's 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 not very good metal music. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um I honestly the music the music is not is not very good. Um, I think that's kind of the point, maybe. Um, I think more. I think maybe a more. Um, I think they could have been a better, better job at, at kind of having having that kind of sound, the, the the metal music kind of having more of an impact on on your hearing. Um, I read a I read a piece. Uh, I read a post actually from. Um, I think it was uh, Buzz and Dale from the Melvins, uh, a band that have been around since the late eighties, mid to late eighties. Um, but they play, you know, uh, you know, they kind of came around in in the the punk hard hardcore post hardcore punk movement from in, in America, kind of ended up in this grunge kind of thing. And um, but they play a lot of uh, a very kind of heavy heavy music, you know, the, the the guitars and the drums and stuff. But they were talking about how like in 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 their most recent recent recordings, they've kind of as they've gotten older because I think they're you know they're pushing their mid fifties sixties now, but you know it's the vibrations in the bass that they're almost like that's how they hear the music is through the vibrations in the bass because their hearing is just so fucked now. Um, and I think maybe more could have done with that. There's a really really good scene where he's playing the drums in the RV and we can kind of hear it from his perspective. Mm. And I feel like they're more than done to to have that kind of i think maybe another another maybe a little bit of sequence of him 
doing something to do with drums um, to kind of show that it's it's there's more more has been lost. But um, all in all, like I mean, I think I honestly I think the film is is very 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 good. Um, like I said I, I only got a few little little notes with it, but did you find it's a very very going to the title sound of metal? Did you find it a bit on the nose that? The last sound is literally the sound of metal. It's like a the bell tower being hit. Possibly. I mean, I felt. I don't know. I just. I can't. I get the title. I get why it is the title. Um, just being a fan of metal music, I just. I'm just like that's not metal. Music. It wasn't really metal. No, they weren't a metal band. <laughs> that's the thing. No. But uh, no, no I, I, um, yeah, I think they they weren't supposed to be good musicians, though, right? They were supposed to yeah, be sort of the thing. average touring band that gets a few gigs here and there, and is just about living on the living on the edge. Yeah, we see that kind of thing where he's looking at uh, he's on the computer, and there's a little video of this woman shot of her, you know, uh, Lou in Paris or something with a little drum electronic machine, and yeah. we don't hear it; we're just looking at it. Um, we know, even without hearing at it, that it's fucking dreadful um, and just really pretentious. Um, so, I, th- I, I maybe you know that's that isn't the story. That isn't the story. You know? Yeah, I don't know if that's um, just you coming at it from a, a metal fan point of view because I, yeah, I didn't find that too. Much. I thought, in fact, I quite kind of liked that it just brushed over the music part of it. And like I said earlier, I yeah. kind of liked that it just it went straight into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was really, I think I was really, really hoping one of the the thing that I kind of thought this film would be, I mean, oh, remember gigs, but remember like remember this, but like um, I have you know experience being in metal gigs and stuff, you know, and and one of my favorite gigs I've ever been to was this uh, uh this place called the Yova Orange Box. And we're talking like a, a venue which is it was like smaller than a town centre McDonald's with a ceiling that is about a foot higher than your actual height. Um, saw a mathcore band, mathcore heli battle band called Dillinger Escape Band there. And like the way the sound kind of reverberates around this small space and you come out the get you come out the venue out to the fresh air after just seeing this and you just your your head is ringing and mm. you know the fresh air kind of hits you and you, you almost you are like not deaf but like your ears have been suppressed so much by the by the, the wall of sound that's kind of hit you, and I was really hoping that the film would kind of do more with that kind of metal gig experience and how that would affect somebody that's creating that music. I mean, that's what I initially thought this film would be. I didn't think yeah. it would be a film that would delve so much into the the addict side of of you know losing your hearing and and how that's kind of like a substitute for being an addict. That, that's um, what I thought it was going to be as well. I thought it was going to be the first hour was him touring and his hearing slowly getting worse and worse. And, you know, it, it's in the first scene he does it and he loses hearing, right? And it goes kind of iffy. I thought it was going to, that was going to last 10 seconds and it was going to come back and they were going to do the gig and then they were going to go into the next yeah. one. And then it was going to last like five minutes on the next gig and it was going to slowly build up. But I think I did kind of like how, yeah, it just... First time his hearing goes, it goes, and that's it. It's not like he hears high pitch ring one time and then he wiggles his ear and it gets better and then he goes and plays a bit more. And it's like I like that it was just it went. Yeah, it's, yeah, 
probably a lot more really realistic as yeah. well. I think I think they definitely could have done it a lot more look at the music and stuff. And they probably did. There probably is so many deleted scenes of them playing twenty different gigs. I know he learned to play the drums for it. I don't think he would have done that if yeah. he knew there was only going to be like one or two scenes with it in. But I assume it was a decision on the uh on the editing floor as opposed to in the script to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Riz Ahmed is a musician, though. He, he's, he, he has yeah. a history doing rap music and stuff, doesn't he, in, in, over here? Yeah, I mean, he's just UK. he's one of those just all-arounders, isn't he? He's one of those uh, Donald Glover types. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think we're kind of wrapping up quite nicely on, on, on Sadamato. I'm also trying to keep an eye on, on the recording time as well. Yeah. <laughs> I want to kind of keep to an hour, like me and Danny have been doing so well at doing... Uh, with season two of Keen Atomic, because you know when we started doing Keen Atomic, uh, our episodes went from from forty five minutes to an hour and a half to two hours, and our Gone with the Wind episode that we did was like two and a half to three oh, hours long. Um, but saying that, that episode is one of our best downloaded. Um, so people like listening to two and a half to three hours on Gone with the Wind, believe it or not. People are mad. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so, the next one we're going to be talking about is Minari. David, look! They're wheels! Wheels? Look at the toad, yeah? GBG? We started to start with the same thing. This is the thing. I'm going to be a big guy. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, Please stand. What a beautiful family. I'm glad you're here. So the film um, is directed by Lee Isaac Chung, um, starring Stephen Young, uh, Yan Yuri, and Yung Yo Young. I think that's how you say your name. Um, I've got a bit of a brief synopsis here before I ask uh, Matt's his, his thoughts. Uh, It's the 1980s and David, a seven-year-old Korean-American boy, is faced with new surroundings and a different way of life when his father moves their family from the west coast of rural uh, Kansas. His mother, Monica, is aghast when they live in their mobile home in the middle of nowhere and David and his sister are bored and aimless. When his equally mischievous grandmother arrives in Korea to live with them, her unfamiliar ways arouse David's curiosity. Meanwhile, Jacob, hellbent on creating a farm on untapped soil, throws their finances, his marriage, and stability of the family into jeopardy. Um, so that synopsis pretty kind of <laughs> um, so, uh, kind of sums up the kind of movie, but it it it, it does leave out a lot of um, the themes. So, Max, what did you think of uh, Minari? Yeah, Minari was a. I think it was a really good film. Um, I think if just because obviously we're comparing it to sort of Sound of Metal here. I think I did slightly prefer that one just because I think what this film is about isn't a story for me because it's covering so much of the sort of the immigrant experience in America. Obviously I can watch it and I can understand it, but it did kind of feel a bit like it wasn't, it wasn't made for someone like me, you know, it's, it's made to be something for, for people who have gone through that, you know, and identify with that. And so I think, Watching it, I could appreciate that it was, you know, a well-made film, uh, well-written film, an interesting story, but it felt like it just didn't quite hit that mark of identifiability with me. And that's fine, because it's it's not supposed to, really. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the same same wavelength. I mean, like 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 we do with Sound of Matt, we're just going to give our general thoughts before we go into into spoilers. Um, I mean, I did. I think I think I was a bit more positive on the film than you are. Um, you know, I kind of had a little bit. You know, I wouldn't say look, look, criticisms with Sound of Metal, but there were a couple of things that kind of I thought maybe could have been a bit better for me for my experience of that film. Whereas Minari, um, I wouldn't say it's a perfect film, um, but I, I would say I was a bit more um, kind of receptive to it um, than, maybe, than maybe you were um, by the sounds of it. Um, in regards to, like, it's a, not a film for you, I mean, I, I'm i the, the same thing. Like, I, I don't think it's a, it's a film... Like I think to fully get this film, I think you kind of need to come from that, have that experience. Um, it's not really like a universal story, like some you know universal themes, like you know with Parasite or um, Shoplifters, um, you know Korean films that have come out recently that have been massively popular. Minari is a very seems like a very very kind of specific story um, to be told, but it is a is a well, it's really really well done in that respect yeah i think that's um, sort of the thing it that that's it is that i was kind of i felt like throughout the whole film i was waiting for that moment that that moment you know parasite and like you said shoplifters i was waiting for the story to kind of ramp up in that sense to really yeah. you know hit full throttle and i just felt it never really did i don't without giving away too much spoilers there i don't think there was any point where i was like oh okay this is this is the big bit it just kind of flowed at a steady pace the whole way yeah it, it it's it's a good it is a good film though i mean it, it's just yeah this yeah, is this is like, nitpicking this isn't you know yeah this is very very nitpicky from both of us um i mean to to kind of i mean we've always said like we said we know sound of metal that we'd be interested to know you know uh from people who have gone through addiction or deaf people for to get their you know reactions to the film um then i have looked up um a review from david chen who is an asian american who um who is a, a film critic he does uh the slash film cast uh, podcast that i listen to um now on uh, his little thought this is his quote i've got here from letterboxd um he said before i watched this movie i thought my mum was the only parent that made me drink foul black liquid when i was young that was derived from questionable herbs and animal parts in the hopes it would improve my health now i see that it is an experience many immigrants share just like the other experiences in the movie um so i mean that that kind of perfectly sums it up in in our thoughts i think and our general thoughts in that this is it's a really really good movie it's just there's a lot of specific specificity with you know the immigrant experience that's not to detract the the the, the general our general general thoughts in that you should go see this movie i think you're on the same same boat in that mm -hmm. yeah there's yeah. i suppose there's little there's little moments where you can sort of go okay, I get that that must be a thing that Korean families do or whatever. Or, yeah, I know that like him drinking the soup or whatever. I'm sort of thinking, oh, okay, that must be a sort of a thing. But I can imagine if you were in that, you know, if you lived through that experience, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember my grandma making that soup or whatever. And you, that would hit a bit better than it does for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so should we, should we just, should we go into, go into spoilers now? Yeah, we're sort we of straight towards it, aren't we? <laughs> um yeah yeah we are um so um i don't really know where to start with spoilers i mean um they go they go off you know they're, they're in they're in the kind of the families out in the middle of nowhere their grandmother comes to stay with them the mum's mother comes to stay with them 
Um, and David, the little boy, kind of, you know, is apprehensive at first with her and then kind of they grow a bit closer. Um, and there's that whole thing of her, him saying, you're not a real grandmother, is that it? Um, she smells like Korea. Yeah. Um, and then there's uh, the sequence where they, they go off to the hospital, you know, after there's, you know, a big discussion about whether staying there is good for them. And it turns out that being out in the middle of nowhere is good for David, for his health. Um, and then it cuts away to the grandmother, who at this point has had a stroke, and she um, inadvertently, accidentally burns down the crops. Mm. And the film kind of ends with, I'll say the last, the last big sequence really is is the burning of the of the crops and and stuff, and the and the mother kind of um, helping, trying to save, you know, what's there. Um, how how did you how did you kind of read that? Yeah, it was a it was a tough one because the scene sort of prior to that where they're at the hospital, I did feel kind of bad for the dad because it was kind of he had this he had this belief in himself, and then she sort of it ends that scene ends with the um, the parents decide decide to split up because he chooses the crops over the family or chooses his farm over his family. I um I don't know that's I sort of I felt quite bad for him in that moment because I thought. You know, he he didn't want to. He he just he believed in himself the whole way through, and no one really did believe in him. His whole family didn't believe in him. And I kind of thought, oh, his family won't wouldn't even stick by his side. You know, as much as he it was interpreted in the film as him not sticking by his family side. It, I just, I read it more as his family didn't didn't stick by his side and kind of just let left him. But um, then yeah, it ends up being that actually the farm was the better thing and. And so it's sort of in that final climax with the with the fire, they sort of all get brought back together. And I think you see a little scene after that of them uh, digging a well for next year's crop. So it's clearly shown that they have chosen to stay there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. As a sort of ending sequence, I think throughout the whole film, it kind of has a subtle tension of, you know, you've got the stuff with David's heart. So you sort of know that something is going to go wrong at some point. You, you know, it's not going to be a film where just everything works out happily. Um yeah, I don't know if it, if that moment came a bit late in the film for me or something. I, I'm not sure. It just, yeah, yeah. I don't really know. I kind of trailed off there, but yeah. Um, I think I, I think I kind of know where you're coming from. I mean, I think the film, the film gets a much needed, um, let's <laughs> say, kick up the ass when when the when the grandma grandmother turns turns up on on the scene. She, you know. I mean, rightfully so that she's you know at the, at the time of recording she she won uh, best supporting actress at the, at the Baftas, um, rightfully so in my opinion, and you know because I mean her her whole character just kind of brings life to the film, um, and you kind of almost see it coming that something's going to happen with her, um, you know that just adds a lot whole more stress on on the mother and on on the family um and it it kind of it it does almost feel as though you know when they're having that discussion outside the shop where you know that the father's just had this you know amazing opportunity where the shopkeepers agreed to to get you know to sell the sell the crops and the mother's stood outside and it's just you know she has a she has a good a good point in that when things are going well that's when we get on but when things don't go well 
we fall apart. Mm. I think that's, a, you know, it's, you know, relationships are, are, you know, you kind of need to be together even when times are tough. Um, and I think he comes to, ter- he comes to terms at that moment of saying, okay, yeah, you're right. This isn't, maybe this isn't right for us as a family. It's right for me and it's right for David, but maybe it's not right for us as a collective. Um, and then, you know, the fire kind of just, I don't know, maybe it, it just kind of, it, it resets everything and maybe it makes yeah, I guess realise that I guess they it's sort of to be together. Yeah, because that's the thing is she, you're almost worried that she's going to just let him go into the fire and just sort of be like, well, well not obviously not let him die, but she's going to, it's not her problem, the crops aren't her problem, but she runs in and she's trying to help at that moment. So I guess it's kind of showing that, yeah, when it actually does get, like, when it's tough, okay, that's tough one, but when it's actually, like, tough, tough, as in, like, the whole thing's burning down, that's when they can rely on each other and all come together and everything. I, yeah. And then, obviously, you get the um, the scene of the kids, grandma's walking down the road and they go and get her and bring her back to the house, which it, I guess is just adding to that sort of bringing the whole family together. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of... It's almost like the opposite of shoplifters. <laughs> yeah. If we're, if we're talking about other, things, you know, that that film is kind of about family together from different parts, isn't it? And mm. this film is, you know, that that you know how it kind of ends up straying away from that. And yeah, this film is about a family that is bound together by blood and what have you, but they're just, you know, they're straying apart. Whether whether they're supposed to, or wouldn't say supposed to, but whether that's meant to happen or not. Mm. Um, I think the film has a really, really interesting thing to say about like the assimilation of culture and 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 how um, like kind of how that almost like their their Korean identity is almost almost being lost to America almost. Like we see how Alan and. Um, the daughter, I can't remember her name. Um, they, they, you know, they speak with American accents, and who's Alan? You know the hmm? who's Alan? Sorry, Alan. Yeah, Alan and the the little girl. What's her name? Who's Alan? No, David. Sorry, Alan Kim. I'm thinking of the name of the actor that plays at uh, um, David. Oh, his, okay, his name okay. Is Alan Kim. Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I'm thinking of trying to think of the name of the the little girl. Um, um, Anne. Anne. Was the mum Monica? Anne's the name of the sister. Mum's the mum is Monica. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So and how like, you know, like I mentioned before, David is like, you know, she smells a Korea, you know, and they don't have that kind of attachment to, you know, the old, you know, that where they where they come from, um, you know, that the fact that they have to bring in. You know the 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 chili and the the anchovies and stuff from you know miles away for them to be able to be connected to you know Korea or you know mm, yeah, and it's yeah. kind, of, kind of how like their identity is being kind of almost stripped away by this by being by living out like further into America than they are because obviously you know Arkansas is what the Midwest mm. something like that yeah. Um, so we're talking like deep, deep country America, you know. Um, so I, th- I do think the film has, has some, you know, some really interesting things to say about that. Um, you know, there's touching on Reaganism and um, the immigrant experience with, you know, there's some, there's some almost, 
innocent racism going on. Yeah, you get the scene uh, with the kids, don't you, where uh, she lists off just sort of vaguely racist uh, yeah. syllables and asks if it means anything in the language. But it's not it's not a malicious sort of thing, is it? It's that she when when she goes, oh yeah, that means something. She's just generally like, oh wow, that's so cool. So it's kind of an interesting way of uh, portraying it that it's not like it's not like everyone in society wants them out. They're happy for them to be included, and they actually embrace them. But they have this sort of ignorance to this cult, to their culture, which I mean, I suppose it is because they've never been exposed to it, right? They just there's no representation at all. Yeah, David kind of has the same experience as well. Where the boy asks him why his face is so flat. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's it's kind of thing that you know a kid can kind of say and and. I'd say that you know they should be saying it, but you know if they're not been used to having people from different cultures coming up, then kind of makes sense, especially in the eighties at that time. Well, it America. could it could feasibly be the first time he's ever seen uh, a Korean person. Really, if there's no one yeah. in his village that looks like it, there's no internet or anything like that. It's just what you would have seen on TV. You would have been you know too young for Korean War coverage or anything like that. So. Unless there was any celebrities around, you probably wouldn't have ever seen a Korean person. Yeah, yeah, I suppose yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think both of us are really quite positive on the film. I think, I, I think, you know, when all together with with, if I was to say, oh, you know, I, I, I can see this film being a lot more. Um. I don't know, maybe warmly recepted by than than maybe Sound of Metal. I think Sound of Metal was a very very specific kind of film in terms of audience, whereas I think Minari is more of a it's a specific story for a more rounded audience. If that makes any sense. I don't know. I I I think I I think I disagree. To be honest, I think Minari is really tuned into that sort of art film fan. Well, I think Sound of Metal could hit. Well, I could see my parents watching Sound of Metal. My parents aren't going to watch Minari. Yeah, uh, fair, yeah, I can kind of yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I mean both both films are, are recommendations from us. I, I think yeah. Yeah, I think if you're into films, they're definitely they're both ones to watch. Um, yeah, definitely. If we're talking about films that are coming out in the UK this year, I think you know they're they're two that are on the must watch. Mm. Definitely. Um, do you have anything more uh, to say about Minari or, or Sound of Metal? Well, I think um, so. Th- the only thing with Minari that I really did struggle to get my head around was uh, th- there's so much religious stuff in it, which obviously you just get the church and stuff. Um, but then I was struggling with the idea that you know they're in the Garden of Eden and there's this this big scene with the snake, which seemed important but then didn't really have any role in the rest of the film um they do multiple exorcisms throughout the film which he like because there's this character of paul who um is their sort of a friend that helps out on the farm but he carries a cross to, like every sunday with him and goes on a pilgrimage and stuff and it's i don't know there seemed to be this high level of religious imagery and symbolism and stuff but I couldn't figure out what exactly was going on there. I mean, the, obviously, as well, he's called David, biblical name. He's 
described by the um, the grandma as, oh, you're so strong, you're so strong. And it's sort of, I don't know if that's a David and Goliath sort of thing. I just, it felt like there was a lot of stuff there that maybe I just wasn't quite getting or, it, it I don't know, I, I struggle with that side of it. If I'm being honest, I, I didn't really think much of any of the religious stuff. Mm. I just felt it was kind of more setting the scene of what 1980s Reagan America kind of looked like. What did What did you make of the scene honest. with the snake then? I just felt it. I thought that was more like the grandma just teaching, teaching David about the world, and like because he was you know throwing rocks at it, and she's like, no, you don't throw rocks at you know creatures. It's kind of like the kind of lesson that. Like my nan would have told me when I was a kid, you know. Don't throw rocks at um, snakes. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you, you know what I mean. Like, you know, you just well, snakes down by you, there. Well, yeah, in on 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 the Somerset levels, yeah. I don't know. Um, that just felt that felt like that was one of the because it's a CGI snake, obviously, and it's not the best done CGI snake, but. I don't know, it felt like a very deliberate scene to me, and so with them mentioning the Garden of Eden earlier on, and that is just such an obvious thing to me, a snake in the Garden of Eden, it felt too obvious to be accidental. Honestly, I would I would be really interested to know if, um, you know, if there's any kind of deeply religious kind of themes to it. I've just done a, a, a brief just a, a simple google search mm. of you know minari and christianity and it's come up with a load of results i mean first one is minari is a deeply christian reflection on failure um minari how faith makes a difference in the integration of foreigners mm. um yeah obviously they they're uh, they're a very religious family and that plays a part in it them going to church that's how they meet the community and stuff she uh she has conversations about trying to set up a Korean church in the in the uh, town. So it's obvious that, you know, religion plays a big part in the film. It's just that level of uh, symbolism and stuff with it. I I was just, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what you're getting up there, whether there was a level of sort of allegory I was missing. I'd be interested to hear a interview with the director where someone brings it up, but that might be hard to find. I've actually felt just, I've just kind of found one um this is on pluggedin.com i'm going to link to it in the show notes um the interviewer says um there's a scene in the movie where the family goes to church and encounters a bunch of people who seem curious and open but don't kind of know what to say such an awkward scene but it shows these parishioners uh, in a decent light they don't know what to say but you kind of get the sense of what they wrote the right thing and the Isaac chung replies saying um I just think that most people here, we should be showing them in a better light. And I think there's something that hasn't been happening. The ways in which Christians are often portrayed, it can be very unfair and inhuman. And I think the same has happened with immigrants and Asians. Hmm. Um, I'm guessing the director is like, I, probably Christian then as well. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it maybe um, it's something I'll, I'll look into a bit more, I guess. Yeah, he says, um, so I was hoping for this film to get more down to a human level and to show the complexity of who we are as people. That it's not as simple as just saying, well, this person is Christian, they're going to act this and this, that, this and that way. I feel like we've had enough of that. We kind of need to get down to the level of understanding that we're all only human beings. We can surprise each other if we have the chance. Mm. I think he's more generally speaking, you know, about what's been going on. But he says, like, you know, I didn't want to set I didn't want to set out to make a Christian movie, if that makes any sense. Like in the sense that I'm preaching to the choir and just trying to preach to the gospel. 
I didn't want this film to be that. I just wanted this film to capture a certain perspective and experience that I have a wrestling with God. The name of the main character is Jacob, and he's wrestling with God in this film. So, yeah, I think you yeah, maybe you're I think probably on something. Yeah, I think right then, because Jacob, David, both biblical. I don't know. It, yeah, that seems there's too much. Uh... Uh, probably, yeah, I think you're definitely onto something. I'm going to link to this show, this interview in the show notes. It seems quite interesting. And, uh, you know, if you type in Minari and Christianity into Google, you're going to come up with a load of results. I'm, I'm sure other people have, have um, a lot more religious faith than me and you have yeah. uh, picked up on it a lot stronger, stronger than we have. So, um, okay, uh, I think that's kind of us done on, on both films. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, like I said at the start of this, I mean, we're, we're going to see how things go with this podcast. We're going to try and do it weekly and focus on, um, you know, reg- regular um, uh, new releases. Um, you know, try and just just see how it goes. Um, trying to keep something a bit different from, from the regular thing on that me and Danny are doing. Um, you know, she will be back. Don't worry. Um, that you know, she will be coming back to, to normal, regular schedule programming. But in the meantime, you know, like I said, we're gonna try this out for a bit and just to keep the feed ticking over. Um, so next week, uh, we're changing gears a little bit. We're g- going to do um, Bad Trip from ni- uh, 2021 by Kitao Sekiro, which stars Eric Andre. Lil Ray Howery and Tiffany Haddish. Um, you've seen this film already, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I watched it a few days after it came out. Okay. Um, and then we'll be watching that with a film called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar uh, by Josh Greenbaum, which came out this year, which stars uh, Kristen Wiig and Anne, Annie uh, Mumolo. M- I think that's how you say your last name. Um, and from the reviews of this film, a lot of people kind of saying it's a a cult film ready in the making or it's like a it's like one of those comedies that is going to go unnoticed by a lot of people and it's you know being championed almost like um mcgruber how that film kind of you know when that came out a lot of people either didn't get it or enough not enough people saw it and yet now it's seen as a comedy classic um MacGruber is a great film. I don't know if you've seen it, Max. I don't know if you've seen MacGruber. I think I did, yeah, when I was quite young. Okay. Um, as a recommendation for everybody to watch MacGruber. Christopher Nolan is a good fan, a big fan of MacGruber, apparently. So uh, that's a good, that's a good as a recommendation as any. Um, but anyway, that's next week. We're, we're doing these two two comedies, and then after that, I think we're looking at um, Promising Young Women. Uh, Woman is coming out. Um, and Black Bear, so I think we're doing that the week after um, because those are those are coming out in the UK. Um, so in the meantime, uh, Max, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, anything. It's just at Max Maybe, my name. And have you got anything to plug? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I, I'm part of a Formula One podcast called uh, The Winning Formula. So if you're uh, interested in Formula One, give that a follow. And as somebody who is interested in Formula One, it is a very, very good podcast. So I really, rec- I, I do recommend you guys give that a listen. Cheers. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler. Um, I am on Letterboxd. Um, just type in uh, Nick Chandler. You should be able to find me on there. My website is superatomovision.com. 
Um, I haven't really posted anything on there for quite a long time. I've been kind of been caught up with uh, general uni stuff, but once that's kind of finished, I'm going to go back to try and do some regular posting. So, so keep an eye on that. Um, you can give us a give us an email on keenatomic at gmail.com. Drop us an email. Um, let us know your thoughts on Salamat or Minari. Let us know if you, if you, if, how much you miss Danny. I'm sure she would love to hear it. And um, and and also let us know how much you're sick of me talking because, you know, I'm pretty convinced ninety percent of our audience is only listening for Danny. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can follow us on Twitter um, at Kinotomic, um, where we'll be just doing our normal thing on there. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. Cheers, guys. Have fun. See you later.